This series of podcasts looks at new acquisitions by living artists in the National Collection. We explore the motivation behind the work, how it came to be in the gallery, and what it means for an artist to have their work in the National Collection. In this episode, Donald Maguire, curator of the ESB Centre for the Study of Irish Art at the gallery, speaks to the painter Diana Copperwhite about her life and work. Diana Copperwhite is an artist that focuses mostly on abstract art. Her paintings explore colours, gesture and representation, creating harmonious work which could be described as psychedelic. Diana's painting Shapeshifter was acquired by the gallery in 2019. Hi, Diana. Uh, we are delighted at the National Gallery of Ireland to have acquired relatively recently one of your paintings and that you are now represented in the gallery's permanent collection. The work entitled Shapeshifter is a large oil painting from 2017 and can be seen in all its glory in the gallery's current exhibition, New Perspectives. For me, Shapeshifter is a brilliant example in so many ways of where you are in your practice in recent years, your areas of focus in terms of both aesthetics and subject matter. And I think the painting also suggests something of where it has come from um, and, and in terms of uh, your, the development of your practice, where you might be going as well in the future. But for anyone who's less familiar with this particular painting uh, and your practice in general, could you begin by describing Shapeshifter to us? And perhaps then we could talk about how it relates to your practice in general and its development over the years. Well, Shapeshifter is one of the larger paintings that that um, I've been making over the last maybe six years. I think I've shifted to a much more substantial scale. Um, and it's um, about six foot by eight foot, I think, um, in dimensions. Um, it's, it's basically um, a painting that evolved from photographs and drawings and images that I took um, from my childhood home. It was the last day I think the house was being sold and I, I kind of created this kind of um, notebook and um, kind of, you know, document basically um, to kind of remember the place by which I often do. I often take photographs and collect images and they can be personal or they can be completely impersonal. And sometimes I find no way into an image. It doesn't mean anything. And then all of a sudden other times it does. So I returned to these images a couple of years later and I started to make paintings from them and, and more drawings. And um, that sort of uh, formed the basis or the framework for Shapeshifter basically. So my work, I kind of always enter it through looking at what I would consider to be reality, but then, you know, having um, a sort of like a, um, a kind of a take on what that might actually mean so that I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the memory of something and how I perceive something, the sensation of the memory and the sensation of the space and all of those things kind of, um, kind of fall into place in terms of the painting language and the painting language is very much about, you know, kind of um, creating layers and, there's a lot of addition and subtraction. To the viewer, it it looks like an abstract painting. Uh, that it, it, there's yeah. elements of abstraction, yeah. strong so, abstraction in it. 
I suppose, you see, when it comes to abstraction, I'm often asked that question. And, and for me, I always enter through um, through my own work, through looking at the world around me. And the, in, for all intents and purposes, I suppose it's it's this kind of um, distillation or conflation, actually, of a, of a couple of different images that probably create the doorway into what could be perceived to be abstraction. Um, like for for instance, for Shapeshifter, I would have had the images from my childhood home. I would have had photographs. I would have had drawings. I would probably have had also ideas around sound and memory. And and I think sound and um, the sonic world plays a lot. You know, um, it's, it's quite important in terms of how I how I um, paint as well. In that, all of a sudden, I create one one sort of sense of a reality for me in terms of a structure. Um, and then the color tends to be influenced a lot by music and the the color bars within the painting are almost like chords and they sort of anchor the painting in a, in a completely different way it's like a different kind of um reality colliding on top of the spatial so the paintings always have there's always a sense of space in them even if it's a very abstract space but there's always a sense that or i hope there is that you can somehow enter them in some ways but it's um it's a kind of an unknown space in the end yeah. And the the color bars, you know, they're like windows, screens, portals. I mean, initially they were linked to actual digital screens, televisions, phones, and another way of how we perceive the world. But I suppose they became totally abstract and that I broke them down into their just, you know, um, into, into the basic um, color bar range. And it's different every time because I think of them as like chords or sequences that are different every time. They, they don't follow any scientific logic or anything you know even though okay. i'm also interested in science and physics and optics so yeah so there it's is all this, coming from there I mean, I don't yeah know. so there, there there's an element of abstraction that comes from lots of different interests in music or science or optics and all these kind of things but then there's also a strong yeah. element of what, what you're saying yeah. of representation in the painting as well you're you're drawing on either yeah. memory or photographs there are actual real world kind of objects and things and uh, pictures that you're drawing on for your for your work um, yeah, there there are, and and um, it's kind of like for me, I, I feel um, like when I when I look at images or when I look around me, and I, I I take things from you know looking around me all the time. I'm also thinking of things I can't see, you know, the the world of radio waves, signals, atoms, molecules, all that kind of stuff. And I suppose I'm kind of almost in a way I use the framework of what I perceive. Um, and, you know, I was always very interested in the fact that when you look at something, there's a time delay between when you can, when you see it and when you process it. And I'm also, you know, I'm interested in the unseen world and somehow giving structure and materiality to that invisible world. Okay. So that's probably um, where a lot of the, yeah. the kind of, um, the, the activity and the structure of the painting comes okay. from. Okay. And uh, I, having known your work over the years, I've seen it. Is it fair to say that it's moved progressively towards uh, less, I don't want to say less structure, but less representation that in your earlier paintings, there was a, there was more, there was a stronger kind of represent, presentation well, of, of objects and things and faces and people. And uh, well, that's still there. There's, it's much more yeah. abstracted, I suppose, at this point. Um, there is an element. I mean, I think even for my own sake, I've broken my work down into different kind of sections, you know, and, and the, um, the, the faces and the, the references to people and figuration is still very much there. And, you know, I'm very interested in human experience and, and you know, our, our place in the world and trying to find a way to kind of represent that without it being... Um, 
I don't know how to put this like um I, I'm trying to find my own way of 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 actually representing that and very interesting again when that comes back to chemistry and molecules and even things like robotics and all these things that are happening yeah you know to kind of humanity in a way and trying to find a, a way of dealing with that in in painting as well or you know some semblance of that kind of breakdown almost you know it's all part of my painting language so people are still very much there and yeah and even in the abstract compositions they're very much spaces i think still you know yeah because i suppose interiors and people and these kind of motifs of are are uh visual devices or motifs that you have been uh, that have recurred in your work i think over the years and uh they're there but they're more hidden or they're less uh less obvious maybe than uh than in earlier work well maybe they've become they're less obvious because they have become more of a motif you know whereas before they were always um you know a particular space that i was trying to abstract from but whereas now i have this sense of when i use visual you know information that i that i have these motifs and that the motifs eventually are going to take over and be stronger than any than any kind of reference to an image that i might have used as a starting point so i suppose i'm i kind of have more of a sense of ownership maybe for myself on yeah. the so you're developing so, your own the you elements know, of your own language in a sense of a visual language yeah yeah i think and, so yeah yeah and i suppose you know i i always thought of you know like when i look at things i always see the abstract in everything anyway i look at the i always look at edges and i always look at contours and i always look at how light falls or how one thing joins to another and 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 when i look at at um you know figuration that's what i'm looking at even when i when i look at things in you know other paintings i'm always looking at that and i'm always looking at the autonomous brush mark as well regardless of what it's describing yeah and while there's a sense of um the, the entire canvas i suppose being used and the composition uh developing in all sorts of parts of the painting there are areas of focus as well and for me one of the strong focal points of the painting is the i, I think you refer to it as the color bar motif and uh, yeah. could you tell us how this particular motif developed or what it it might mean to you well i think it, it came from a painting from around 2008 um, called parallel universe and i suppose i was trying to find a way of of dealing with um you know using the the kind of um using an image of a room and then also having this other reality present within the room which was the tv screen and i was more interested in the tv screen when it didn't work than when it did work and and that kind of also kind of um idea about you know things breaking down miscommunication um mistakes how things grow out of the wrong information and become a reality and all that kind of stuff so i think it started there and initially you know the color bars i was i was looking at the prism and how light disperses through the prism and you know you see it everywhere on oil slicks and you know rainbows wherever and reflections and then i was i was thinking about color and i'm fascinated by color anyway i think color is the cornerstone of what i do and i'm always looking for a reason to really work with it you know and and for me that seemed like a perfect vehicle and the the color bars and the combinations are infinite you know it, mm. it for me that was the the moment where that kind of came into focus and then it became um a thing itself as opposed to it being just about the screen so that's the starting point of them. Okay, I think. and um, you the work it's a it's a painting in oil, but you also work in uh, you've worked a little bit in watercolor, but you also and it, it's you work in different genres as well. It, 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 I think you you work in portraiture 
and or you at least you have paintings sorry maybe portraiture isn't the right word but you have paintings that you refer to as portraits and um you work in different scales as well this is a particularly large painting so uh it, while it's very it's a very good example of a, a particular type of work that you make your work does vary as well mm -hmm. and i was wondering could you talk about the different um aspects of your practice and how they relate to to each other how these the works that you call refer to as portraits uh um relate to these more abstract pictures well i suppose i you know i always um like like for instance when i have when i have a show and i always make work as a body as well you know because i think um i need the paintings to talk to each other and also i paint uh, you know, the fluidity and the flow is better when I kind of go from one painter to the other. So I often work on about five or six paintings at the same time. And the small paintings are a way for me to completely empty out sometimes and to relax and calm down because they can become more simple. And I also think of, you know, when I put a body of work together, it's almost like a piece of prose or something. And the the small paintings become like commas or exclamation marks or punctuation or something. And the large paintings feel like they feel like almost like like rooms that you can you know these these abstract rooms, but where you can move information around and rearrange things. And I like them, you know, the busyness as well. I mean, you know, for me, that's kind of like um, that's part of it. So you know, there's there's like this, sort of sometimes there's a, they're they're moving as you're looking at them. They're almost on the point of collapse, and there's a sense of metamorphosis going on. And um, that's kind of um, important in terms of of how I paint. So they're a very different experience and the smaller paintings, um, whether they're completely small abstract paintings or whether they're portraits or sometimes I call them anti-portraits because it kind of separates for me, you know, them from having to be within the traditional genre. So I gave them that title as a way of dealing with that. And But they let the bigger paintings breathe. And also I think, you know, if I'm just making, um, the one type of work all the time sometimes it collapses under its own weight and it doesn't flow or something you know the fluidity disappears because because it's um because there's too much pressure on it you know and and so it's this i also have to let them dry yeah. so this constant stopping and starting yeah. and engaging and re-engaging and that's that kind of helps with the, that the know? medium of oil is i suppose what you're speaking about there in a very interesting way that it's it's something that you've remained very true to in a sense other well I suppose it can be tempting to start mixing in other materials or uh, collage has become very popular over the last yeah. over decades. And uh, have you ever been tempted to move that direction or what is your love of this particular medium or what is it that you're exploring through the particular medium of oil paint? I think it's the fact that, you know, it's, it's like this primeval thing, you know, this, this, this material that, that, that it's like has such a long history and, and it's it's when you mix it on the on the palette and you you know there's so much to do anyway in mixing color like color mixing colors are it's fascinating you could spend all day mixing grays and slightly shifting the tone in the gray so there's so much to do there that when it comes to making the painting you know i don't feel any need to to do anything not to not to do anything else but like collage i would think of as a separate genre again it would be like when i make a watercolor i make a drawing i would Think of it as a separate thing and i do actually um sometimes with my source material i make collages out of them just to help myself shift them away from um or, you know uh, from their original source but within the painting i don't know i think i'm just a bit of a purist i love yeah. the i love the brush mark and i love the simplicity of a pure brush mark and what it does and how it sits and you know so i don't feel the need to 
you know collage anything onto yeah. it or disrupt it in that way yeah i think the the medium itself is kind of has so much that i, I don't feel the need to yeah. to put anything else in um there. i was i'm really interested in what you spoke a little bit about there this idea of how a body of work that you're creating relates to each other in, in, it was almost like you were describing a piece of text or different elements of a language or a text and how they might relate to each other. But then yeah. again, and then how how that works on the wall as well in a space. And I'm always interested by, uh, I suppose it's a very, it's a more modern or contemporary way for artists to work in series or in, in terms mm. of a body of work. A lot of the paintings in the National Gallery would have been created for commission or for a particular purpose uh, or particular context. Whereas artists today, a lot of people like yourself work in in the context of a particular series of work and what is it for when you take a painting out of that series and place it in the context of somewhere like the national gallery and you talked about how painting might your work the the conversation between different works what types of conversations do you think it has or how do you, what do you, what do you, what potential is there there for it to have conversations with this, with historic well, works in a, in the context of the national gallery um, I suppose you see there, there, there are there, there are always other works that it talks to as well. You know, I suppose you know, I mean, it's 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 in a room with amazing you know paintings that I'm really delighted to be in the same company as. And but there is a conversation, I suppose, around maybe modernism that I kind of I'm really interested in. You know, still you know in the 21st century and. Um, and historically as well, you know, there there's links to all sorts of things. So, yeah. um, and I suppose in terms yeah, of modernism I mean, and large abstract painting, it's there is a kind of a, mm. a quite a, a male dominated history there as well of uh, of large abstract painting, which is the area that you're working in. Yeah, yeah, but I think in recent years there there has been an opening up, you know. And if we look at like I'm, you know, when I look at people like Joan Mitchell, you know, and she's become a lot more significant, even though she always was, but she's become much more to the forefront. And you know, even you know Lee Krasner, and you know, there's a there's a lot of, of female yeah, painters out there absolutely. now, and even historically they're historical, you know, and. Even for me, looking back, I mean, there's, they're very modest in size, but looking at Mamie Jellett, I was always come to the National Gallery and when I was a very young student or even before when I was a kid. And I would, would always notice those paintings because, you know, there was such a um, there was such a, a type of work. And then all of a sudden I would come across this, which seemed very unfamiliar and a little bit of a conundrum initially. But I was always drawn to them like I always remembered them and they gradually you know, got into my head and I started to understand them. And I was always drawn to um, things where the forms break down anyway, yeah. you know. You're reminding me how important it is for the places like the gallery and museums to to how they tell the story and who they include in those stories is, uh, is, is very important. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. If I could put you on the spot and ask you, is if you had the choice of your work to hang beside any uh, painting or, or artists from across history uh, to have a, that conversation you're talking about with who, who would you like to see your work hang beside? Um, oh, there's there's so many because I was I was thinking earlier about about just art historical references, you know, mm. and I'm trying to think. I mean, I love the I love the um, the dresses in Velasquez Infantas paintings. You know, it's almost like the painting is about the dress, and to me, I always thought they were. They, to me, I remember standing in front of them in the Prado thinking they were like, they were abstraction, yeah. you know, from a Baroque perspective. And um, 
you know, and always, I suppose as well, you know, there, there, are, there are like, um, like Rembrandt, de Kooning. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, you know, um, yeah. Joe Mitchell, <laughs> definitely. Um, um, yeah. I was hoping maybe you could tell us about, uh, if we could talk a little bit about your practice, what, what a normal day in the studio is, if there is such a thing, what, when you get up in the morning and go to the studio, what does Diana Copperwhite do? Well, I go to the studio since lockdown in the morning a lot, and I sit there and look at what I've been doing. And I sort of take a lot, I, I do, I, like, it's funny. I, when I paint, I'm quite, I'm quite engaged with the painting and I'm, it's very physical and I stay, stay with it, but then I stop and I spend a lot of time looking then and, um, in the mornings, I tend to look. Sometimes I, I do paint in the mornings, but I tend to paint more at night. I go back then in a different light. And I tend to, um, I think it's because it's dark outside. It's a, a strange relationship to light, I think, and activity in general. And when it's completely dark outside, I just feel like I can completely focus and the paintings seem to come alive more, like they are their own entity more for some reason. And mm. I am... Um, I spent a lot of time mixing color and thinking about color and responding like to what I did the day before or a couple of days before if I've had to let it dry quite substantially and looking at, at that and, and it's almost like trying to pick out a starting point to re-engage with the painting and I, I never, I mean, I never know exactly what I'm going to do, you know, mm. when I re-engage and sometimes I completely obliterate and that happens a lot until I can find a way back in again and so it's... um. So it's a process of sitting there looking at the work for a long time and then it's a process of mixing colors and trying to and mixing a lot of um, mid-tones and a lot of grays and a lot of off-white and then a lot of different colors and trying to um trying to decide on um almost like what tone to start back with you know yeah. so the paintings go up and down all the time in terms of a, of a tonal register yeah which creates a lot of tension i think in you know in that the dark follows the light, the light follows the dark, and it goes back and forth, and that's yeah. kind of what I do all day. <laughs> and I, suppose um, that I listen world, to music as well. Listen to music. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. That uh, I suppose because the, yeah. the world of the studio was such a, a hidden, I suppose, to most many people, they see the they see what mm. comes out of it. Um, people imagine that you work on paintings, but what else do you? What else informs your practice, or what else do you do to kind of when you're not actually working on a finished piece? Um, I, I probably read a little bit as well. And, um, like I, I'm still reading Murakami. There was a book and I stopped and I like the short sentences. I like there's, there's certain types of prose I respond to. Um, sometimes I draw as well and I look for things. I look for information as well. Um, mm. and I kind of, um, go through a lot of my old sketchbooks as well, looking back at things and, it's 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 a it's a combination of things, you know. But I do do a lot of sitting there looking at what I've done though, yeah. and trying to figure out. And do you know? And and listening, I think listening is very important for me as well. Yeah. What music do you listen to in the studio? Okay. Well, um, lots of different things. Like at the moment, I'm learning to play the cello, so <laughs> I'm listening to a lot of cello music. Um, but I, I it, my music jumps from classical to to um contemporary it just jumps all over the place and it's some it's something i notice as well even when i go for a walk in between painting i sometimes need to do that it's like there's such different structures that maybe i'm listening for some way back into the painting or something mm. um i'm trying to think um like let me think what was i listening to 
apart from the cello music, I listen to a lot of retro stuff as well. So um, I, don't know, I think I was listening to My Bloody Valentine okay. recently and lots, lots of different things. It's just um, sometimes minimalist classical music as well. I love... I love uh, Philip Glass and Steve Reich and Max Richter. I love all. That. I love Max Richter's Sleep Cycle. Yeah. I love all that stuff. Maybe well. I'll bring my headphones with me next time I look at one of your paintings and <laughs> play some cello. Or, uh... <laughs> well, I am always listening, and, and you know, I can't even remember sometimes what I was listening to because it jumps around yeah. so much. And, but it's it's definitely um, it's definitely um, something okay, that's very great. important to me. Brilliant. You know, and do moments of uh, progress do they come in? kind of, I suppose, what might be called like eureka moments or are they, or is it a very slow process that things happen over time and uh, come in, in smaller moments? It's it's kind of like, it's like uh, when something changes, it's like actually a very awkward moment. It's mm. like you feel like at a loss and something feels necessary but uncomfortable and you do something that you don't fully recognize and it's not very comfortable actually. <laughs> it's much easier to repeat yourself you know, because you're sure maybe something works. And, yeah. and, and, and a lot of the time change comes in, an, in, yeah, the awkwardness. And sometimes it's very kind of clunky and awkwardly made. And then you start to realize something has happened and you try and try and record it. I actually, actually, I take an awful lot of photographs of my own work on my phone. And even when I'm in the studio, I look at what's in front of me and I look at it on the phone and I look at them through screens as well to try and see. That's almost sometimes to get more distance. Um, but yeah, change is is is, is tricky. It's difficult yeah. and yeah, uncomfortable actually. The way you describe but it, it it's, sometimes sometimes I was just yeah. the way you describe it. It sounds like there's a an element of risk to it that you you have to make a decision to go with something or to continue on yeah. the, kind of the path that you're used to. I think well, I think there's a lot of risk in ter- in that way of painting anyway. That that you might be under pressure to have work made for something, and you are you look at it and you just go, that's completely dead. It doesn't do anything. It seems repetitive. It just, and you risk completely obliterating it with the knowledge that you know how to go back in and, and pull something back out of it. And it's, it's always a bit like that, but, but when you make a, when you make a more substantial change, it's very, it's quite, it's, yeah, it's very risky. It's like a bit like falling off a cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Not that I've ever fallen off a cliff. (laughs) The, uh, I suppose in some ways over the last year, maybe it's been great to have uh, a, a practice that has been, that is sustainable for you, that you're able to keep, go to the studio and continue to make work and, uh, and develop it regardless of, of, of all the, all the things that have been the difficulties and challenges of the last year that um, have you, has the, pandemic itself and life during the pandemic has it impacted in any way on your art practice or have you been able to continue um i've been able to continue uh, and i've been very lucky in in that and and i suppose what i you know i've gone for very long walks you know in the park and down by the daughter river which i never did before because i never had time and i think that was kind of um it was actually okay you know it was like my head was able to empty out actually the busyness in my head was able to empty mm-hmm. out a lot and I was able to continue in my studio um, more, more at a kind of, um, not going to say at a slower pace, but um, yeah, at a less frantic pace maybe for lots of reasons. 
So, I mean, it hasn't been bad at all, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I still, you know, Zoom, obviously, there's a lot of um, Zooming and stuff. And, you know, I have missed being able to go to galleries and see things in real life or travel yeah. and go to see things. What are you looking forward to but, most? But in terms of practice... What are, you, what are you looking forward to getting back to most? I'm, um, I'm looking forward to, apart from being able to go to galleries, actually being able to go places again, to be able to travel a little bit and yeah. see people. Yeah. So the Shapeshifter is now in the collection of the National Gallery of Ireland. And I was wondering for, personally, I suppose, for yourself, what does it mean to be in uh, the collection of the National Gallery? Um, is it is it, a, a, is it an important thing for a living artist, for, or sort of personally for someone like yourself? Oh, yeah, it's, it's very important. And like, it's a great honour to be included in a collection like that. And it's not just the, the vast amount of really significant, you know, historical you know european art but also in terms of irish heritage and stuff to be a part of that conversation you know on going forward is is, is really you know it's very very important i think for me yeah i'm just thinking it, it, there's so many times you see works from the national collection appear in even school publications and things like that and it's very important i suppose for young people the next generation coming through to be exposed to uh works by contemporary artists and the, and and that whole world of art making that yeah, the national yeah. gallery art the national gallery can connect people with uh with art in that way that can perhaps be a little bit more difficult to do in the in, in other parts in the other elements of the contemporary art world but the yeah. national gallery has a has a access to some of those audiences can i ask you um what's next for diana copperwhite where do you have a is there um will we see you continue on the same uh, on a similar kind of uh, aesthetic path or have you is there anything going on in the studio now that particularly interests you that you could give us some um well i'm making I'm making a new body of work but i'm i'm always painting so it's yeah. something that's kind of like something i feel the need to stay engaged with all the time so it's it's um evolving um and um, where will we yeah. see new work by Diana Copperwhite? Um, I'm going to have another show in, in um, New York, I think, in October of this year. And I think also there's some other stuff. There's some other projects. But because of COVID, I'm not sure yet exactly when things are happening. But there's definitely other projects as well. Yeah. And you, you're an artist who has had uh, success both nationally and uh, internationally as well. You sell paintings uh, outside of Ireland. But you also have maintained a close links to the art world in Ireland and art education as well. You you work as a teacher. That could you tell us a little bit about your uh, what you enjoy about that type of that part of your work? I think yeah. I mean, I teach I teach a day a week in NCAD, and I think it's you know students like you know they're really they're really interesting, and then it's really. Um, it's really kind of I think important to to sort of stay in touch with new ideas and their perception of the world and their perception of painting culture and language and to have those kind of conversations you know so they're 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 yeah they're a source of inspiration I think a lot of the time and, and get a lot out of yeah. that and, and do you do you see a future a strong future for painting in Ireland painting in oils um I, I, I think so. I mean, there's all, you know, people always talked about the death of painting and it seems to keep coming back from the dead. So <laughs> I think, I think it's because it's such a, it's such a, an intrinsically human thing to make a mark, you know, and I think as well, like the more technology we have and the more removed we become, the more the human touch and 
you know, the fragility of human touch, which is what painting kind of shows, I think, you know, the more important it is. So I think it's always, I think it'll always be there, I think. Um, Listen, Dana, thanks hugely for uh, taking part in this interview. It's been really fascinating to listen to you speak about your work and your interests and uh, being so generous in uh, providing us with so much of your thoughts on everything from your from your work to the, the world today in general but uh thank you very much thank you very much i don't know.